This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi s-salamu alayhi wa minash shaytan wa bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa la'udwana ila anu dhalimeen. Wa la'aqibatu lilmuttaqeen. Allahumma salli wa sallam wa barakat al-abdika rasulika Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam tasliman kathira. Uh, firstly, uh, just wanted to thank everyone, alhamdulillah, that sent all the nice messages in uh, and want to welcome on that note, Sheikh Omar Hussein uh, with us tonight, inshallah ta'ala. So uh, first of all, again, Zakmullah khairan to all of you that sent in the well wishes and that sent in all the congratulations. I don't think I'll be able to get to all the messages, but just know that you're in my dua and I appreciate them. And uh, I want you to understand why there was such an urgency. When Sheikh Omar Hussein joined Yaqeen as the head of instruction about what was it, three months ago, Sheikh? Three, four months ago? It's been some time, man. There Maybe was a new Sheikh Omar in town. Yeah. So everyone started saying Sheikh Omar, Sheikh Omar, Sheikh Omar, and it never met me. So I was like, you know what? I've got to do something about this. So that was the, the rush, the added motivation I needed to finish my PhD. And I know that uh, Sheikh Omar is now also about to finish his PhD, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll have to figure something else out with the namings uh, then, inshallah. But that's that's what the rush was all about. Yeah, Sheikh Omar. And uh, we have Sheikh Abdullah, of course. Yeah, Sheikh Abdullah. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll go ahead and we'll get straight to the the uh, the juz. Uh, so now, alhamdulillah, Rameen, we're in juz 22. And what that encompasses is the end of Surah Al-Sajda, and then it goes into several surahs, and it's going to get harder to summarize or to really talk about the connection between the surahs as time goes on. Um, you know, obviously, because there are more surahs that are encompassed within the juz at that point. And so the themes get a little bit uh, more distant, if you will. But inshallah ta'ala, hopefully we'll still be able to convey the way that these, uh, that these surahs are so beautifully uh, structured. Uh, so I'm going to focus on Surah Al-Ahzab and uh, Surah Sabah. Uh, surah Al-Ahzab is an interesting surah in that it subhanAllah follows after Allah talks about the way that Musa السلام, also had his doubters. He had people that put him through the very similar things that the Prophet went through. And so you have a lot of the same theme about Musa السلام. And then Surah Al-Ahzab is, is a surah about the Prophet وسلم, in many ways. Right? It really gives us a different dimension of how we treat the Prophet now, we talked about Surah Rum, Ar-Rum yesterday, and this idea that Allah is in control and that people should not be betrayed by the exterior, by the way that things uh, appear to them in a superficial fashion, but instead they should look deeper. And subhanAllah, with, with the Prophet وسلم, as the individual that's uh, being spoken about so much in Surah Al-Ahzab, uh, you see you know, how we're supposed to look at the relationship we have with the Prophet وسلم, at a deeper level too. So it's very interesting because Surah Al-Ahzab is named after a time period where the Muslims were more vulnerable than ever before, right? At this point now, just like the Romans had been beaten back into their strongholds and were surrounded on all fronts, the Muslims are surrounded in the Battle of Ahzab facing the largest army that, that the Arabs had ever known, and they're really on the brink of extinction. But Allah clarifies to us in the previous surah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will protect uh, those whom he chooses to protect. Allah will give victory to those whom he chooses to give victory to. So Surah Al-Ahzab is the example of that. 
manifest in the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu uh, obviously, like Badr, they're greatly outnumbered, uh, but there's a unique arrogance that the Ahzab, that the, uh, that, that the troops have as they're coming to eliminate the Muslims, you know, on, on that day. They realize that, you know, what we have assembled from all different fronts upon these people, and we have people working on the inside, so we can surround them and we can kill them in so many different ways. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala proving to them that he is still in control and that Allah does not forsake the believers. And then the Prophet role is so central here. This is of course very important because there are two things that prevent the whole, the, the whole wholesome destruction uh, or wholesale destruction of the Ummah of Muhammad Either the Prophet is amongst us or whom or there are people that are in istighfar or people that are in a state of seeking forgiveness of the Lord. So having the presence of the Prophet is one of the ways in which the punishment is averted uh, from the Ummah of the Prophet And you know, some of the scholars mentioned that one of the deeper meanings of that obviously is that if the people after the Prophet are still upon what he left us on and manifesting his example, then that same protection would be extended to us. And that's something we learned throughout our deen that the blessings that Allah gave to the Prophet as we're learning with Daylatul Qadr, they transfer to us through the uh, through the supplication and the presence and the teaching of the Prophet So when we act in accordance with how the Prophet taught us to act, then we will naturally be in a state of seeking forgiveness. And the ulama say that the most frequent way or the mark of the Prophet on a gathering was what? that he would seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over a hundred times in every individual sit, sitting. And so Allah prevents the harm from this ummah when the Prophet is amongst them and while there are people that are in a state of seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness in a state of istighfar. So the Prophet's role is talked about here and the command of salawat uh, is talked about here. Um, you know, that, that this is the, the best time or, or that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is not just one who uh, deserves to be preyed upon by all of his followers and by all, man, all of mankind, but in Allah Allah and his angels send their peace and blessings upon the Prophet. So, Ya amanu sallu alayhi that, oh, you who believe, send your peace and blessings, your prayers and your blessings upon him. Because even Allah and the angels send their peace and blessings upon him. And by the way, tonight is what night? Alhamdulillah, it's Thursday night, technically, Laylatul Jum'ah. Uh, I think so. I mean, I'm losing track of time, but I'm pretty sure it's Laylatul Jum'ah. Uh, and if it is, then it is Thursday, right, guys? Can one of you guys just give me a thumbs up? I don't even know anymore. We're in Thursday, right? All right. It's Friday. I didn't get a thumbs up. That's okay. It's Friday. Friday night, right? Later to Jum'ah. Depends so it's how time you when we look at it. <laughs> Some time we increase in salawat on the Prophet wasallam, uh, the day and night of Friday. Uh, Allah Azza then talks to the Prophet wasallam about how he should respond to his enemies and how he should treat those that seek to get him out of his element, right? Inna arsanak, we have sent you as a, uh, as a Bashir, as a person of glad tidings, as a Nadir, as a warner. And we've sent you as a caller to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this bright lamp. And the, and the Prophet is told, uh, Do not listen, do not be taunted by 
the disbelievers and the hypocrites ignore them and keep your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah is sufficient as a protector as one to be trusted uh, with these things so it's very interesting because how the prophet should respond to harm is there and then the end of the surah is hey don't think that just because you're not on the other side of the trench with the ahzab that you're not capable of harming the prophet why because the end of Surah Al-Ahzab, don't be like those that used to harm Musa The adha to Musa came from within, right? Not from the exterior ranks, but that adha, uh, that harm and that, that mockery and that difficulty that was given to uh, Musa came from within. And so uh, a warning to the believers that don't be like those that caused Musa harm from within. So it's not just the enemies you worry about from outside of the trench, it's the self-destructive behaviors that we have inside the trench within the community when we're not when we can uh, successfully ward off all of the enemies but we inherit uh, ingest some of the very same tactics that are used against us and we start using them against each other and worse than all using them against the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam inshallah i'll just mention a few things about surah sada uh, because i know that inshallah ta'ala surah fatir is Al-Fatir is going to be talking about, talked about, inshallah ta'ala, spoken about. Uh, Surah Sabah then talks about, it contrasts two communities, okay? Two communities. And so you saw the contrast in Surah Al-Ahzab between those who the Prophet is told to not be bothered by their harm and then those that are being warned, though they can count themselves amongst the followers of the Prophet not to harm him. Here you have two communities. The community of Sulaiman alayhi salam and Dawood alayhi salam David and Solomon, and then the community of Saba, Sheba. Uh, and you contrast these two communities, and one of them, uh, Saba, which I, you know, has a rich background to it, subhanAllah, I can't go into the full story of it. But you, know, you have a people that were so blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they literally got sick of their blessings to a point that they didn't know what to do with it anymore. You know, when you see people that, uh, that spend their money on things that make absolutely no sense whatsoever because they're bored of their wealth, they're just bored of being blessed. The people of Sabah were literally just bored of being blessed. Allah gave them so much and it got to a point where it's like they're making dua against themselves, right? So let us struggle a bit. This is too easy. Uh, you know, we're not, we're just, everything just happens. Earth, it's not going to fill that void. And so you have a people that have a great void and that do not appreciate the blessings upon them. And, you know, uh, don't even start to, to reflect or think about anything until those blessings start to be uh, taken away from them. On the other hand, and you can go through verse 12 to 15 uh, of Surah Sabah, you have the community of Sulaiman the son of Dawood Sulaiman who is blessed over and over and over again and continues to ask Allah for blessing. But as he asks Allah for blessing, he becomes more grateful. And the gratitude that he expresses is not just in his words, but in his actions. Work, O family of David, acts of gratitude. And so in the, in the other community of Sabah, you have a people that have everything they don't ask Allah for more blessings. They don't show gratitude for it, and it gets taken away from them. In the case of Sulaiman, you have someone that keeps asking Allah for more, but when he asks Allah for more, it's to do more acts of gratitude. And so Allah blesses him. Both Sabah and Fatir actually begin with what? Alhamdulillah. 
both of them start off with the words alhamdulillah that the greatest way to show shukr, to show gratitude with the tongue is alhamdulillah, is to praise Allah and then to act uh, words of hamd. And as it says in Surah Sabah, and very few of my servants are grateful. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst them. Allahumma ameen. And inshallah ta'ala, with that, I will turn it over to uh, Shaykh Abdullah. Jazakallah khair. Yes, can you hear me? Yeah, I think. Can you hear me? Salam alaikum. Salam alaikum. Can you hear me? Hello? Go ahead, go. Okay. Salam alaikum. Okay, alhamdulillah. Thumbs up. We're good. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, what I want to talk about Ta'ala, is the relationship that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the chapter of Fatir. So we're going to cover the 32nd verse, the 31st and 32nd, but primarily the 32nd. The 31st is a small introduction when it speaks about the virtue of the recitation of the Quran and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed this nation uh, with the words of the Quran and the recitation of it. But there are classes of people within that. And this is important for us as Muslims to know when we deal with anyone, Muslim, non-Muslim human beings, and how to be someone that is a practical person that understands the reality of uh, uh, humanity. You know, because we may have certain expectations from someone, but just because they don't fulfill our expectations does not mean that they are lesser than us. When we have that understanding, this is what brings one to be humble and what, you know, puts a person in their proper place and that looks at their own sins, you know, and they cry over their own sins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the virtue of the book that was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ when he says in verse number 31, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and that which we have revealed to you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, of the book is truth. That which was confirming what was before it. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his servants is khabir. He is the well acquainted and he is the all seeing. That he sees everything and he's well acquainted with what is done. Even the nations from before, from the books that were recited, that he says that it's truthful what was brought from before him. That it's a continuation of the truthfulness of the message from the other scriptures. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings something very, very, very beautiful, subhanAllah. And it, 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 it humanizes the companions uh, and it should always uh, remind us that subhanAllah, Allah is al-alim, that he is the all-knowing and he knows our nature as human beings. He knows that we will fall short. But then he mentions three classes of people, three. He says, he says, then we cause to inherit the book those whom we have chosen from our servants to inherit the book. Now from those people that have inherited the book, meaning that they've taken this knowledge of this book, primarily the knowledge of the oneness of Allah and his uniqueness, and they responded to that knowledge by worshiping him by himself and not giving him any characteristics that may belittle or lessen uh, what he demands from his creation. He says, فَمِنْ هُمْ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِهِ now, let's focus here. These three. 
He said, is the one, the first one is the one that oppresses themselves, the one that wrongs themselves. And then the one that is moderate. Okay, so let's stop with these two for a minute. The one that is means oppression. But when we look at it, the meaning of zulm is to take something in its rightful place and put it somewhere else. The right of my child, the right of my mother, the right of a human being. If I don't give them their human right, their God-given right, their, their right as a wife, right as a husband, right as a brother, right as a, as, as an, for an animal, their rights. That is oppression. That is the origin of oppression. But adil is the total opposite. You're putting everything, you're giving it its due right. That's why the worst zulm that can be done is to give the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to someone or something else, or say that something, your love for money, your desire for ego, whatever the case may be, is at the level of love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on a consistent basis. But here when he says zalim nafsi, it is the one that commits a sin. It's the Muslim that they commit a sin. That's oppressing your own self. You're not harming Allah whatsoever. Allah is giving you this sharia. He's giving you this way of life. He's giving you this religion to align and beautify the natural wiring within you. You have the desire. Allah acknowledges the desire because he created it, but he gives you a system to utilize and beautify that desire to invest in this life, to go to the next, and he'll be pleased with you, inshallah. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, the zalim nafsi, and then the second one is the one who is moderate. And you know, the zalim nafsi is the one that say, hasanatihi. the one where his bad deeds or her bad deeds has outweighed the good deeds. And then the muqtasid is the one that fulfills the obligatory actions. You know, they pray there five times a day. You know, they give their zakat, they fulfill the five pillars, but they don't go beyond that. You know, they do what they're supposed to do because they're supposed to do it or out of love of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they still have some more that they can give. You know, offering the, the, the nawafil, the sunnah prayers after the salah, you know, going to their neighbor's home, you know, smiling, you know, being someone that's courteous, something that they, it's not obligatory per se upon them to do. Uh, that's all that they do. That's the moderate one. That's the one that's moderate, okay? But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمِنْ هُمْ سَابِقُمْ بِالْخَيْرَاتِ And the one that is سَابِقُمْ بِالْخَيْرَاتِ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ And those are the ones that are uh, that inheritance, that they do the actions of good, but they are سَابِقْ لِلْخَيْرَاتِ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ And this is beautiful because this is the highest level. Those are the ones that the scholars say, غَلَبَتْ حَسَنَاتُهُ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ that his or her good deeds outweigh and overpower their bad deeds. Okay? But what's beautiful about this is Allah says sabiq. And sabiq is the one that competes or the one that goes hastily or goes in a manner to where they want to beat others. Now Allah says in other ayats in the Quran, فَاسْتَبِقُوا khayrat, And to compete in the good deeds. Now Allah says here, وَسَابِقُمْ uh, that they compete in the good deeds. But what's beautiful here is at the end of this portion, he says, Bi'ibnillah. You may be doing the good deeds. You may be praying your tarawih, mashallah, and, and qiyam al-layl, and you read your Jews of the Quran, or your two Jews, mashallah, and no one saw you, mashallah. There may be one second, one minute, you think to yourself, wow, look at what I did, right? 
you call people, no one's awake. You realize that you're the only one that's awake and then you, you may converse with people or you may say something that will show your good deeds. And there's a slight difference between competing in the good deeds in order to belittle someone and competing in the good deeds because you want good for the one you're competing against in order to motivate them. Now, this is good. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, bi'idhnillah, by his permission, as Shu'aib said, that my success is not except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever good deeds you do, brothers and sisters, strive to get there, but know that it was with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you got there. And always thank him, because when you thank him, he'll increase you in the good deeds. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends, and that is a great bounty. What is the bounty here? The bounty is what he said in the beginning. The bounty is that that he chose you. The fact that you are guided, the fact that you have the, the intention to do a good deed and then you carry out the good deed, know that that's what the bounty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you, that he chose you. Yes, you made the right choice and you're rewarded for that. Rewarded in this life, rewarded by making dua for somewhere else, someone else in their cure, or they may come to Islam or something. You're rewarded for that. But always know that you are not the ultimate repository. You're not the ultimate source of all that good. It's the tawfiq from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And lastly, when looking at these three levels that Allah mentions, these three types of Muslims, all Muslims are going to fall into one of these three. May Allah make us from the last ones, the sabiqun bil khayrat. Know that if you are dhalim nafsik, you will still be of those people, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the next verse, jannatun adanin yadkhulunaha that they will be the people that enter into heaven, inshallah ta'ala. But you should always strive to reach level two in order to reach level one. In other words, tadarruj. Be, have the intention to be a better person, but be gradual in it. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said uh, uh, that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ahabba a'mali illallah adwamuha wa inqal. The most beloved actions to Allah are the ones that are consistent even if they were a little bit. So be consistent, but always strive for ihsan, excellence. Try to get to level two and try to be to level one. And when you're at level one, strive to be the sabiq, to be around those people, other level ones. And if you're around the level two, make dua for them to try to get to level one. But always know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-ghafoor, he forgives you for your shortcomings, but there's always room as long as we are alive. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from those that are the sabiqun bil khayrat and make us of those that stick to this book, the beautiful kitab al mubin Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barakatuh wa nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam ajma'in. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Abdullah. I think we're having some connection issues, so I apologize to everyone. I'm uh, not really sure what's happening with the tech, but uh, inshallah khair. Uh, Shaykh Hamar Hussain, are you, are you there? I'm here. All right. Pleasure to be back again with the, the protein Sheikh Abdullah and Dr. Sheikh Omar Suleiman. Alhamdulillah. I'm going to talk about actually half a verse, half a verse, Surah Fatah, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, verse number 10, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Man kana yuridu al-izzata falillahi al-izzatu jami'a. Ilayhi yas'adu al-kalimu al-tayyibu wal-amal al-salihu yarfa'u. That Allah is saying, whoever wants honor and respect 
and dignity, let them seek it by seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because to him rises the good word or the pure word, and the actions then raise that up further. So we'll, cut, we'll uh, come back to, to this, but I'm going to briefly talk about what we're doing right now, which is our speech. Now, the, the good word or the blessed word in this verse, many of the scholars of tafsir, of Quranic explanation, will say it means dua, supplication, or dhikr, uh, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, reciting the Quran. And of course, that is uh, a part of a Muslim. Uh, a Muslim speech, but there's also something which is not a part of a Muslim speech, which is profanity. And I am still shocked at seeing religiously inclined Muslims using profane words. I remember seeing a, a t-shirt one time, it said profanity, an immature mind trying to express itself. The Prophet they said, Lam yakun Nabi He was never one who was uh, indecent in speech. He was never one who would curse or use, you know, crude language. And this is not from the characteristic uh, of a believer. There was a, uh, an article by a TV guide where they talked about uh, a certain word, which is derogatory to females. And from the late 90s to the late 2000s, this word tripled in usage on network television. And now they said, now it's just normal. I mean, you, I don't care where you are. If you turn anything on, you can hear and see whatever you want to hear and see. And these things cause a desensitization. So this is not from the characteristics of the believer uh, to use this kind of language. You know, it's, it's amazing. When I was growing up, they used to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, but what a lie that statement is. What do you mean words will never hurt you? Go, go and talk about someone's mother. Tell me if that hurts them. Countries start war over words. So what we say absolutely matters. Uh, the human being uses speech. This is why, uh, you know, the shiuch will tell you in the, in the books of Aqidah, right? They'll call an uh, insan, the human being, haywan nataq, uh, an, an, an animal that speaks. So speech is how we communicate. And what is, is termed vulgar is vulgar. And for the believer, that's consistent. It doesn't change over time, right? It's not like people may say, well, th this kind of language is acceptable now. Well, so what? There's a lot of things in society that are acceptable that are completely against uh, Islamic teaching. So uh, we have a beautiful religion, which is universal. Uh, a brother earlier asked me, uh, before uh, earlier in Ramadan, he said, uh, do I have to give sadaqah because I use bad language? Now, this is actually a beautiful habit. It's, it's, the, it's the prophetic uh, advice, right? Follow up a, a bad deed with a good deed. And it may reduce the reward of the fasting. I, I, can't, I don't think we can say it will nullify the fasting, but it's nevertheless a good habit. So let's take this one step further. You know, Sheikh Omar was talking about a, a jar they had to donate to the Masjid Al-Aqsa a few days ago. How about a profanity jar in the home? So anything that's deemed inappropriate the money goes in the jar. And of course, that money then goes to Yaqeen, inshallah, so we can continue to provide programming. Uh -huh. But this is, a, this is a way to train our brain that there are consequences for what we say. We can't just say whatever we want. And I really want to emphasize um, in, the, in the times we live in the virtual tongue. Uh, people can be very lethal online, and that's 
it's no different. The message is still going across, whether it's in a text or an email or a post. Uh, the, the profane language, it's, it's still the same. It still has the same destructive uh, characteristics on the soul. Now, um, in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about those who want to seek dignity and honor, and then he talks about speech, and then he talks about action, raising that up. And uh, this is really interesting because there are some people who are so uh, determined to get respect and to get that dignity from others that they will just talk and talk and talk, and they will have no actions to back it up. And the believer talks, is mindful in what they say, and they back, back it up with their actions. And doing that ultimately is doing what? That's pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's part of the good words which go up to him. And that is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give us dignity, not just in this life, but inshallah, when it matters the most in the next life. And finally, I'll mention um, when it comes to speech, nobody said we have to have an opinion or answer to everything. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not going to hold us accountable because we didn't have an opinion on an issue when we don't have half of the facts. How many things are out there? We don't know 90% of what's going on, yet we are so firm to have an opinion, thinking, no, I got to stand up for the truth. No, you know, we need information. We need to know what we're talking about. So don't be afraid of silence in a world that sometimes cannot seem to stop talking. I think the connection might be a little better right now, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, it seems to be a little smoother. So again, I want to apologize. Here, subhanAllah, about the con connection of the prophets between these surahs. And, you know, really challenging ourselves with the ethics and characteristics of the prophets. Um, you know, if you look at the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and the way that we respond to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. One of the surahs that comes in this just is Surah Yasin, right? And we don't, we, we didn't get a chance to go deep into Surah Yasin at all or really get into it. But, um, you know, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala talks about this man that comes forth, right? Uh, to give his people glad tidings, to give them the good news. And you have the taunting, you have the harm that's towards him. And what did he want? Ya layta qawmi ya'lamun. He just wanted his people to know know better, right? Uh, he wasn't asking them uh, for ajr, for anything in return. He wasn't asking for position. He wasn't asking for power. And he was met with harm. He was met with all sorts of things. Now, the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rectifies it is we then hear of this man in Jannah and these people are sort of left back with their ways. And so this man is from those muhsineen. He's from those that excel. And ends up being in that place. And then those that are sort of left behind uh, dwell in their ways and in a place of deception and delusion until they meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with those ways. And I think that uh, the lesson that I connect between the three uh, sort of themes that we hit on tonight um, is that sometimes we wait for consequence uh, and we solely judge our actions by consequence. And so a muhsin, someone who excels, in that first category, who's not muqtasid, uh, but sabiqun bil khayrat, someone who doesn't just stop where, where other people of righteousness stop, but who uh, leads the way, right? A person who's sabiq bil khayrat doesn't look for just the consequences of good in this world. He's coming back. Yeah, which is the reward of ihsan. I'll wait until I receive that reward. 
And then you get the, you know, the other reward, which is, um, you know, or, or you have the other people there that use foul language and the profanity and whether they use that profanity or not is based upon uh, whether or not they're seeing the consequences of that. So if everyone's okay with the profanity around them, they're just going to keep on saying that profanity. And here in this case, those that abuse the prophets and the messengers of Allah, uh, you know, they waited for the consequences of what in wahida, right? It's just one shout, one hardship that comes. And then suddenly it's all back to it. So there's a theme here of sort of waiting for consequence that comes um, across these uh, across these uh, things. So I'm not sure if the connection's okay now, but if so, if anyone wants to share any last thought, inshallah, before we sign off for the night. Well, that was a nice, ni nice khitam. Khitam wa misk. So inshallah, tonight uh, we will continue with Ibadul Rahman and it fits with the theme uh, of what Sheikh Omar just talked about. Uh, uh, it's probably the, the most prominent part of Ibadul Rahman, how you respond to people uh, that are foul and people that are ignorant. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll look forward to seeing you all tonight. It's the richest part of these verses inshallah ta'ala. So that will be at 2 a.m. Eastern. Inshallah, there will be no technical difficulties uh, tonight, inshallah ta'ala. There's a lot less going on tonight. So hopefully there'll be uh, no technical difficulties, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll see you all at 2 a.m. Eastern, inshallah ta'ala, uh, for a reflection on the Ibad al-Rahman, uh, the servants of the Most Merciful. Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.